Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy! Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master, and I'm a pastor here. If you're just checking out a service, thanks for being here. You picked a great Sunday to come because this week we are kicking off a new series called Minor Prophets, Major Messages. And throughout the Old Testament there, of the Bible, there are a number of these short books that cover the teachings and the messages of prophets or messengers of God. And we're going to be covering three of them in this series. Now, to give you a little more clarity on these prophets, there are kind of four main major prophets in the Bible, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Uh, They're major because basically they're majorly long. They're long books in the Bible, and that would mean longer sermons. You're welcome, all right? Uh, But then there's another 12 in the Bible who have significantly less content. Uh, This week's prophet actually only has 48 verses in its entire book. So you're welcome for choosing to do them instead for the series. But although these prophets, they have short messages, rarely are their messages short and sweet, in a sense. They're usually hard-hitting messages meant to move God's people emotionally or instruct them to go or to change or to fix something that's going on. And of these 12, if you've ever read any of them before... They come across as pretty hard to understand. They're kind of out there, and they're sometimes just obscure. They are composed by these different authors with different methods of getting their messages across. They're all prophetic, or they're all predictive writings, which is already a bit weird for a lot of us, because that's not something we read every day. But these writings, in addition to being prophetic, they could also be a narrative or a parable or wisdom or poetry or song or even a sermon is kind of how these are written, some of these these prophets or these books in the Bible. So to really understand what they are getting at and what they're trying to communicate, we need to do a thorough study on some of these. With all that said, although these prophets and books are significant, They're probably less known to you. They have some major messages that impacted the people of their time. And I think these messages can be something that can impact you today. And the prophet or the story that we're looking at today teaches us about God's mercy, about being merciful. Did any of you play the game Mercy growing up? Who are my mercy people? You lock arms, right? Or lock hands. And then, like, when you play, like, in the game, like, if you gave mercy, it meant you won, right? It was a good thing. Like, you overcame the person. You wanted to give mercy. Anyone feel that way about life today? You want to show mercy? (laughs) You either don't want to participate right now, or you're as bad as me because I don't want to show mercy I don't want to show mercy in real life. If I were to look up mercy, here's kind of the definition of it. It's compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is in within one's power to punish or to harm. Now, that's kind of like the definition. But the decision to show mercy is being someone who has the choice to either punish or choose not to. To choose to attack someone's maybe status or reputation or physical ability or job or or wealth or stuff, you have the choice to do that. 
as you think about mercy, and if there was like a spectrum, where do you think you land on the amount of mercy you show? Like, easy to give mercy or deserves no mercy? Like, depending on the person or the situation, I'm sure it's different, right? Last week we had our superhero Sunday, like in kids' ministry. We had tons of like, tons of superheroes, like people dressed up and kids dressed up. It was a ton of fun. And you voted on your favorite superhero. Like, Batman kind of definitely won. Spider-Man was a close second. But then, since you guys like superheroes, it seemed, because a lot of you voted in this last week, uh, if I was to place villains on a spectrum, like, easy to give mercy, like, you got Magneto, like, Lex Luthor, the Joker, deserves no mercy, so they progressively get worse, right? My superhero, like, experts can correct me later on these, but maybe superheroes aren't your thing. Who could you show mercy to? Maybe it's TV shows, like, Ross is like easier to give mercy to, right? Or like Danny or uh, Johnny from the, the Cobra Kai or Michael Scott or from Stranger Things or who, who is, who's easy to give mercy to? Who could you give mercy to? Or maybe it's not TV, but maybe it's just a life spectrum, right? Like people who cut you off. Can you give them mercy or not? People groups. I don't know what that means to you, but there's different groups out there. Like, are they, can you give mercy to them? Opposing, or people of opposing parties, dictators, murderers. Do they deserve mercy or not? Mercy is something that is difficult, yet scripture demands it from us. Luke 6, 36, it says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Again, this is kind of like a childish response to, to kind of understanding mercy. But I don't know about you. I don't like it. I don't like it. I prefer not to do it. I'd rather just skip this one. I'd rather just skip this part of God's direction and just punish people when I have the right to. Anyone with me? Like, God, you do you. You do you in your mercy giving, especially towards me. (laughs) But I don't want to do it. I just don't. I don't want to do it. Have you ever felt that way about mercy or compassion or forgiveness? I'm joking, right? I'm joking, but internally I'm not because I hate mercy. I hate mercy. I have this never back down mentality. Has anyone seen this movie before? This was out like when I was in college. Um, And it's literally like all about fighting your way out of conflict and anger. And in my head, when it comes to people I don't like or enjoy being around or people who oppose me or have different views or people who just don't get it, you don't get it. I hear this guy's voice like, never back down, come on. Never back down, right? I hear that voice. And then my mind goes to like these type of responses to those this people like, fight. let's fight, let's brawl. Okay, so maybe not completely that, but this is a movie, again, that came out when I was in college and I had a bit more of a fighter in me back then. Today, instead of this movie, like, I think the concept that you maybe know well, or if, if you're under 35, it's probably the Cobra Kai concept, like, strike first, strike hard, no mercy. Or maybe you're older than 35, and you're the karate kid, like, generation, strike first, strike hard, no mercy. But that was who I was. And that's where my default goes, relationally, when I'm not thinking about it consciously. As I've aged and I've matured, I'm definitely not that Partially because I've realized I need the mercies of so many others so that I can't fight everyone. But even in the heat of the moment today, if it isn't fight back or don't give mercy, it tends to be flight and avoid even thinking about giving mercy because I don't want to, right? I, I shared that with you. I don't want to. For example, a time when something is a little out of my comfort zone and I don't want to be there, flight. I leave so I don't even have the option to give mercy. 
Or a time where a person did something kind of dumb and you told them, that's probably dumb what you're doing. But they still did it. And instead of you helping them clean it up, you laugh a bit and flight. Right? Or that time a person maybe wronged you and they're starting to change. But instead of embracing their change, flight. You don't even give them a chance. These are all situations and responses that tend to come natural to me. But rarely, rarely forgiveness or compassion or mercy comes out of me. Yet God wants us to be merciful. So we're going to learn a lot about that today. And we're going to learn about the mercy of God. And we're going to learn how mercy is actually greater. It can help us. Do you want that? Do you want to show more mercy? Do you need to show more mercy? Maybe you're like me and you'd rather skip mercy, but you're open to seeing how it could be greater. That's what we're covering today as we study the book of Jonah. Uh, Today we're talking about the prophet of Jonah. Jonah is a book in the Bible that's relatively short and it's got a big element in it. That's kind of what the the book is known for. I want to say whether you're a Christian and in the room or not, it's hard to not know about Jonah and the... Whale or fish, yep, yep, so it depends on what your upbringing is, right? You know about Jonah, and you know about the fish that swallowed him up, but then what? Then what do you know? It's generally all we know, right? Like, and to just know about a big fish is to miss the story of Jonah and its message completely. So I thought I would just get us started by looking at a classic four-page children's Bible story or depiction of the story of Jonah. Uh, So it looks at the first four chapters of Jonah. It says, Inside a fish, one day God spoke to a man named Jonah. You must go to the city of Nineveh, God said. They are doing bad things there. You must tell them to stop. Jonah did not obey. He got on a ship. He tried to sail away from God. But God knew where Jonah was. He sent a big storm. Why has a storm come, asked the sailors. It came because of me, said Jonah. If you throw me into the sea, it will stop. So they throw Jonah into the sea, and the storm did, did stop. But a big fish swam up, swallowed Jonah. Inside the fish, Jonah prayed and prayed. After three days and nights, God saved him, and he made the fish spit Jonah out on the land. Then God said to Jonah, Go to Nineveh. And Jonah went. And he told the people to stop being bad. The people listened to Jonah, and they started doing good things. God was glad that Jonah had obeyed. That's what they say happened to me? Not bad. I sound awesome. You mean you didn't do that? I like this spin. Is there more to the story? I mean, God told me to go to Nineveh, which is ridiculous. Do you know what those people are like? Horrible people. They deserve to die. They are unclean, do evil things, sacrifice children, and they're my nation's enemy. They, d- they should be destroyed. Isn't that the message you were sent to deliver them? That they're going to get destroyed? Hoping it maybe like changes them? I mean, why deliver the news then? Well, yeah, that's what God wanted me to say. But I know what God is like. He won't actually do it. He's up to something. So instead of walking there... You went the opposite direction on a ship to flee God, the God who created and controls the earth and the seas. Yep. The one who controls the wind and the waves. Yep. The one who knows all things and is ever-present. Yep. And how'd that turn out for you? Not good. I was with people who follow other gods, and the storms came. And these stinking people realized that I was running from God and seeing his power in controlling these storms for my attention, 
So all of a sudden, they start worshiping him and fully commit to his ways. You're a prophet of God. Isn't that good? Isn't that what you want? Well, then what do they do? Like they throw you over or what? I begged for it to get me away from anything to do with God. So I'm in the water, and this part gets a bit out there, but it felt like a big sea monster swooped me up, and I was inside the beast for days. And I begged to get out, because you know what fish smell like? Nasty, right? Imagine what their belly smells like. Fishy. I begged for God to have it spit me out, and I told him I'd go if it did. So sure enough, I get spat out on land and go to Nineveh, and I gave them a message. Okay, what did you say? Did you encourage them, convince them to change, tell them about God, teach them what they should do and his ways? No. I kept it short and angry. I simply yelled, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And that worked? They start being sad and in remorse, and then repent, even the king. So then God changed his mind in destroying these people. Yeah. Which is great news. Wrong. Wait, what? It says, like, in that book, like, here, if you, you obeyed God by delivering the news, and they repented, what am I missing? I think you missed a chapter, but I like going down in history and how your story ends. I'm out. Well, this is meant to... <laughs> This is meant to be a bit comical for you, and then keep visiting the story, but the conversation is pretty close to the story, and this is what the majority of people know about Jonah. And if that's all you know, you miss it. You miss it. Actually, an entire chapter of the four-chapter book, so 25% of the story. So a lot of it. So what really happened? Let's look at the scripture, the exact scripture of this. So again, in chapter 1, God gave Jonah a message that said, Go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment. Jonah didn't want to, so he went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord on a ship. But then the Lord hurled a wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. During this time, Jonah's sleeping, actually, and the captain and the crew comes down to him and say, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he'll pay attention to us. The crew realizes the storm is because of Jonah. They want the storm to stop, and Jonah says, throw me into the sea, and then it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is my fault. The sailors, they don't want his blood on their hands, so they, 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 they approach God, and they're pagan, so they believe in multiple gods, but, but they say this, they cry out to the Lord, Jonah's God, O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. But they toss him into the water, and when this happens, the storm stops, and the sailors instantly commit and worship God. Seeing his power. It says the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. And then when, what happens next is a fish, right? A fish swoops up Jonah. Now the Lord had arranged the great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. While Jonah is in this fish, he starts praying and he starts saying how horrible his experience is in this chapter. How God showed his might and how he's going to get back to following God is what's going on in Jonah's mind as he's in the fish. Then Jonah 2.10, it says, The Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. So then God tells Jonah again, Go to Nineveh 
And when he does, this is his sermon. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And in response to a one-sentence sermon with the most evil, baddest, non-God-following nation around of 120,000 people do in response to it, they repent. They repent. They fast. They wear burlap. They mourn. The king of that time sends out a decree to the whole city. He says, no one, not even animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. People and the animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. They turn from their evil ways and they change. And you want to know what happens next? It says, when God saw that they, what they had done, he had put a stop, and they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. And now, we're where we left off in our conversation with Jonah and the children's Bible. But there's still one chapter left. Check out how Jonah responds to this. This change of great plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. God responds asking, is it right for you to be angry about this? And then something strange happens. Jonah, he waits outside the city to see if the destruction might still come to Nineveh. And God gives him a plant to give him shade while he's waiting. And while he's waiting and this plant is giving him shade, a worm comes. God sends a worm to eat this plant. So this plant withers away and Jonah is hot, tired, crabby, and faint. And he's ticked that God destroyed the plant on him. And then it says, Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And the book just ends there. No happy ending for Jonah. It doesn't get resolved. We don't get answers to that last question. It just ends, like mic drop. What do you think of that? What do you think of Jonah now? Did I ruin the book for you? (laughs) Or your childhood, like, understanding of Jonah? Sorry if I did. It'll get better, I promise. Hang in there with me till the end. But as we see in this story and now kind of know all the details, what do we do with something like this? Like, what can we learn from it? Why is it written the way it is? And I think, like, as we start to piece things together, knowing all the details that go into the chapter, I want to point out a few things to you. Unlike most stories in the Bible, the main character is usually good. Jonah is not good, right? He's not good, and he doesn't really get more obedient to God. Yet God remains good, like always, in all of the stories we kind of read throughout Scripture. But what's interesting is almost everything in the story is in inverse. Like everything is not how it should be. It's kind of like it's kind of like a satire type thing. Like if you don't know what satire is, it's defined like this: the use of humor or irony or exaggeration or to ridicule or expose and criticize people's stupidity. Uh, satire is a lot of times like in the headlines these days, like a satire for Jonah would be like, even a whale can't get this man to practice what he preaches, right? But the story of Jonah 
although a real story in which every detail, the fish, the plant, the worm, the storm, the responses from people can be actual events that happen because God is God. He can do anything. If he can create the world, he can literally create a fish or any of the other things in this story to happen. And there are historical people and places and timelines that match these details of Jonah and Nineveh. But when we look at this story, we almost see a satirical look at how Jonah and God's people are with following God. And the concept of mercy is seen. Remember in the beginning, Jonah runs from God by going on a boat, full well knowing God created all the earth and the land. Jonah is he's on a boat with pagans, and he's seeing God's might. Jonah, the, the God follower, right, is not convinced of God's power, but the pagans, they worship God. Jonah, he, he gets to Nineveh, and he gives the worst sermon ever, my opinion, right? But in it, never once does he mention God or why they should repent. He just gives the sermon, and people change. Whereas Jonah's people, the Israelites, they've gotten powerful message after message, and they rarely change. Nineveh, one of the most evil, cutthroat nations of that time, repents as in changes, whereas Israel, Jonah's people, or Jonah's people, who God has been blessing forever, strays away from God often. Yet in all this, the person who is disobeying God the most throughout the story is Jonah. Is Jonah. God continues to save and show up and present himself to him. It's like this full switch, right? All of what you'd expect a God-following individual or nation to do, instead of them doing it, the evil pagan ones do it. All of what you'd expect a messenger or a prophet of God to do, he doesn't. Whether Jonah's story is like meant to be satirical or historical or literal, we can see full well Jonah is not a great guy. He's not a great guy. Yet this is not the point of the story, nor is the big fish the point of the story. The story is to show God's mercy, his endless mercy. And although Jonah isn't great, the story is showing God always is. And in it we learn and we hear a message that God is trying to communicate to his people who first heard this story and read this story. But for us today, I think there's three things from this story that God wanted us to take away as well. The first one is this. I think God wants us to embrace his view, embrace God's view. One who God is for and against can sometimes be construed by the views of Christians. We tend to have a lot of views that we tie in with God. It's not wrong to have your own views or beliefs in life, but God should be first as a Christian. Yet as Christians, we make it blurry for people if they're witnessing from afar, many times unintentionally of trying to describe who and what God is for and not for. I'm not promoting any of these shirts you're going to see in a second, nor am I saying any of these wrong if you own anything like this. But have you ever seen shirts like this that kind of tie God and another thing together? Like Jesus and pizza right? Or all I need is God and a dog. Two things. With God and coffee, there is nothing you can't overcome. Or God, guns, and gains. Or God, guns, golf, and guys. This is an interesting one. I don't really understand that one completely. Um, God, guns, and Chick-fil-A. Or God, guns, beer, and freedom, right? So like we're kind of tying these things together. God and these things in the mix, There's a shirt that we're going to be giving away soon here at church on a Sunday, and it's going to say this, 
All I need is God and center point. Just kidding. We're not doing that shirt, so that, that's a joke. <laughs> but we start to associate God with particular views. And we let some of our personal beliefs and views infiltrate what we think God is for. For example, if we're not cautious, our politics, our ethnicity, our nationality, our religion, our comfort, our socioeconomic status, shape our views on who we think God is for and against. Why this matters is Jonah didn't want to deliver a message to the Ninevites because he knew that if they repented, God would save them. It said that, it says, that is why I ran away from t- to Tarshish. I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Jonah puts his own views of who he thinks should receive grace before who God thinks should receive grace. He didn't want to do what God wanted because of his own views and thinking these evil people should be destroyed. I mean, if I'm Jonah, I feel justified, right? Like, like, the Ninevites are this horrible nation who is an enemy of Jonah's nation. Why would he want God to forgive them and allow them to exist? But God's view is for people. We see it in his mercy. In the most famous verse, it shows it, right? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. Not God so loved good people. God so loved a particular race. God so loved a particular nation. The world. All people. As you wrestle with that, are you for people? So make sure what views do you need to filter through God's lens. It's not wrong to have a shirt like the one I showed earlier, but what views do you have that maybe compete with God's views in your care of the world for all people? Is it maybe part of your politics? Is it maybe your upbringing? Is it maybe your, your race? What can you do to make sure God's view is something you always prioritize. Maybe you need to study to see if your views like do align with God's. Maybe you need to pray before you interact with a particular view. Maybe you need to trust God's results with something when, when things don't work out after you did everything you could, but you're trusting that God is in control. Maybe you need to remind yourself that God is for all people, before Chick-fil-A or guns or glory or nation or party or whatever. Please don't take it that I'm like for or against some of these things, but only that I want you to have God's view first before anything else. The second thing I think this story points out for us is God's grace uh, is important. We are to embrace God's grace and notice it. Grace is, in the uh, biblical sense, it's defined as the unmerited favor. Jonah's story points out to us how over and over again God gives grace. Maybe in ways we don't really see. There's, if we kind of just look at like the overall like couple of the verses in here, God's call. God's call to Jonah. I mean, should Jonah have been a prophet? Probably not, right? God gave him favor though. The corrective storm, right? The storm. Although it's not fun to go through storms, it was meant to get Jonah's attention and get him on right living. The kindness of the sailors. The sailors didn't just murder him instantly. They didn't just get rid of him. They had kindness. The great fish. God found a way to choose to rescue Jonah, even in his angst. Answered prayer. Jonah wanted out of the fish, so God granted it. Favor in ministry. Like, God allowed Jonah's message to be heard. Nineveh's repentance. Like, and the people, they changed. They changed, which would be in favor for Jonah's people if they're starting to change their ways. God questioning confrontation. Like, God allows Jonah to question him. 
over and over again in the book of Jonah, we see God gives grace, unmerited favor to Jonah, even in his disobedience, even in his inconsistency, and even in his quite scattered statements for and against God. As you see this, and you kind of have like a snapshot of Jonah's life, have you noticed the grace that you have received from God that maybe is similar? It could be, if we kind of look at his, like it could maybe be an opportunity that we have that, or that you have that you weren't qualified for, but God gave it to you. He called you to that area. Maybe it could be that God is continuously showing up to you. He's showing up for you. Maybe it could be a consequence that, that pulls you and your entire family, like a storm or people group, uh, back on track to get back towards God. Maybe it could be a creature or an act of nature that just moves you like the fish. Maybe it could be freedom that you are begging for and God grants it. Maybe it could be the, a success in a lackluster preaching or action or sharing. It could be God continuing to present in our questioning and swaying who he really is. Have you taken time to notice and embrace God's grace unto you? I think one of the issues with Jonah is he is oblivious of it. He's oblivious of it. Like, I mean, God has shown up to him in so many ways and proven to be the creator, the controller of everything. But Jonah's just stubborn, right? And look what his stubbornness gets him at the end of the story. He desires to die. He's dealing with depression and frustration, even with God present to him in his frustration. He needs to notice and embrace God's grace and turn from his ways, or the church word for this is repent. Repent. We get a glimpse of him doing some of this in the belly of the fish, but it's never fully repentant. It's more, it's more like remorse. He says things like this when he's in the belly of the fish. He says, Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. But you, Lord, my God, brought, me, brought my life up from the pit. When, I, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. I see these. I see these verses. And I think they're good. They're good responses from Jonah. They're, they're remorseful feelings. But we see Jonah literally days after slips back to anger and frustration on God. It shows us feelings is all they were. Feelings. Feelings and emotions come and go. Jonah was remorseful. He was emotional, but he never repented. You and others might say, but he did what God wanted. He did what God wanted, right? Isn't that repentance? I'd say he never repented. And you want to know how I know this? Is because I've been there. I've been there like Jonah in that belly. I've been there before emotionally. Like I've ran from God, from what God wants in my life. Like in my past, I've ran from obedience to God and how I handle alcohol or partying or my body or in handling my relationships. This is all in the past. But in my past, I, I've ran and I, I've tried to flee from treating others with respect or forgiveness because I just don't want to. And when I've ran and emotionally hit rock bottom or tough stuff, I've said stuff like Jonah. I've said like, God, I'll look towards your holiness. God, you, you've gotten me out of this pit. Help me out of this pit. God, I'll remember you, God. I'll sacrifice. I'll do it your way this time. I promise. 
And then I do it, sort of-ish. But then it only takes a little something to derail me again or completely. And I'm back to running or avoiding or being disobedient. What needs to happen is not just remorse, but repentance. Jonah never really repented. As in, in his sorrowfulness, changed, turned. Repentance is turning the other direction and never looking back. Of course, mistakes still happen after people repent. But it's something that should never bring you back to where you once were. Because you decided in your heart, mostly because you know from experience now, but that your way is no good is what you learn. Your way is no good, and you've decided to allow God to lead you. That's repentance. So even in your slip-ups, you don't derail completely. You've, you've repented from that wrong. You never go that far down the road, but you continue to be consistent and choose to move forward even if you take steps back. Jonah showed remorse, never repentance. In all of God's grace that you've experienced, I'm sure many of you have shown remorse, but the real question is, have you shown repentance? One amazing way to kind of solidify your repentance and make something substantial for you in, in your mind and for others is baptism. Um, in the Bible, when people turned from their old ways, they were baptized. It meant, I am moving forward from my old life and mistakes of doing it on my own, and I'm set on, my ways of follow, on the ways of following God. It's an act that, it doesn't save you, it's not magical, but it's one that Jesus tells us to do. It says in Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. It's, again, not magical, but it's, it's something also that, like, when you get baptized, it's not like, oh, I'm never going to make a mistake again. That is not what happens. But it's a moment that you can look back on where you remember, I have repented. I'm never going back to doing it on my own again. Because God's grace is for me, and I've seen too much to ever go back. Have you done that before? Have you ever repented, or are you just remorseful? Have you gotten baptized before? If not, maybe, maybe you want to. Maybe the opportunity, it's coming up. We have it in like two weeks here. Maybe you want to. It's coming up, and it'll be in, we have a little hot tub that we'll put out here in the front. It, it won't be like super hot, but it won't be super cold. I promise that. But we'll have a little hot tub, and it'll happen after the services, so it's an intimate setting. Anyone can attend and like celebrate. Anyone can get baptized. We already have a, a couple of people signed up for this, um, but this time could be your time. It could be a moment where between you and God and to publicly show others, this is where I am with my relationship with God. You're embracing God's grace. The last thing that we see in Jonah's story is we are to embrace God's mercy. God has forgiveness for all. And if I'm honest, this is extremely unsettling. It is. There are a lot of people in my mind who do not deserve mercy. But this is the core to Jonah's story. He didn't want to deliver mercy to the Ninevites, to the people group he wasn't, to the nation that wasn't his and was harsh, to the doers of all kinds of evil that he saw as horrible. Who are those people to you? Who's that nation to you? Who's the doers that do those things to you? Jonah shows us, though the plant that grows to give him shade, that we have such a limited view on judgment. We see this throughout that plant. We have such a limited view. Jonah was mad about God taking away this one plant that God created, yet not mad about God annihilating 120,000 people. After reflecting on Jonah, God wants you, you and me, to ponder the question, 
shouldn't I care and give mercy for those who are in darkness? This is God asking us this question. And he shows us that he does by not getting rid of the Ninevites. And that type of mercy is what he requires from us as well. James 2.13, it says, There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. So will you? Will you be merciful? Who do you need to show mercy to? Do you have someone who has hurt you maybe in the past, that has made some positive changes? Maybe it's a family member or a friend or a coworker. Do you need to show mercy and forgive them? Do you, do you have a people group who you have prejudiceness towards and you see them pursuing God and doing things in a godly way? Maybe not exactly as you do, but will you show them mercy and forgiveness? As I wrap up today, today, do you need to start embracing God's views, embracing and seeing God's grace and maybe repenting? Or, or maybe you need to embrace mercy. I'm going to pray that unlike Jonah's story, we don't end with a question or a mic drop but we respond with an answer towards God. Yes, God, I will show mercy. Yes, God, I will show grace. Yes, God, I will embrace your views. If you want to declare that to God, to have him help you do that this week, you can do that with me right now. And, and maybe, I don't always do this, but I sense there might be some people here who, who have never really said, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. I want to pray and tell you that I believe in you. I want your ways. I want to repent from mine, and I want to follow you. I want you to lead my life. And maybe you've never said that to God, and maybe today could be the first day you say something like that and start your journey as a Christian. So I'm going to pray for that, the people that maybe want to do that, but I'm also going to pray for the people who want to make sure they act out in a way of, as we're talking, embracing God's view, embracing God's mercy, and embracing uh, God's grace. Would you pray with me right now as I close? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Yet some of us right now are saying, we want to repent. We've been remorseful. We've had emotions. We want to turn from our ways, and we want to follow your ways. Help us do that. Help us figure out how to do that well. God, we, we're looking to you for direction and, and lead our lives so that we can be a Christian, uh, uh, someone that's pursuing, following Jesus. And then, God, some of us right now are saying, we want mercy. Help us be merciful to others. We want grace. Help us be graceful to others. And then, God, help us embrace your views. Before anything else, help us embrace what you desire for the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.